Welcome to another exciting edition of The Robinson Show. I'm your host, Ed Robinson, and today we have an exciting show for you. We have rapper, philanthropist, D1, and also we have Masters runner, Deborah Green. All that is coming up, but first, here's Lauren Williams with your financial tip. This is Lauren Williams, and here's your money tip. We're going to talk about getting rid of credit card debt. I've got seven quick tips for you to get to start getting rid of your credit card debt. The first one, stop using your credit cards. There's no way that's quite as, nothing quite as easy as getting rid of your credit cards uh, in order to start paying down the debt. If you're using them and trying to pay down the debt, it gets a little bit confusing. Number two, uh, get rid of the credit card offers. So those things coming in the mail and in your email all the time uh, can be a bit distracting. And you're like, oh, but here's another one. And I must have great credit because they want me to have another. You can opt out of those things coming in the mail in addition to them coming to your email. Number three, always pay more than the minimum. You have the minimum balance and that is just set up to, to help you with the interest. It's not actually helping you pay down the credit card debt. So make sure that you bump up and you're paying more than the minimum and as much as possible of your free money that's available so that you can get that credit card balance down for real. Number four, have a plan of attack. You've got to lay out, when do I want to be done with this by? What am I going to, what are my goals to be able to do this? How much money do I have available? And creating that plan to say, this is really something I want to do versus just kind of doing it haphazardly on a monthly basis is going to be the best plan for you. Also, call the credit card company to see if you can reduce your interest rate. People frequently don't realize that there is that option available to them. You just have to ask. Another option, number six, consolidate your debt. You might have multiple credit cards. You can roll them all into one. You can all roll them all sometimes into a low interest card or a no interest card um, and have a certain period of time to pay those off. So that's another option as well. And number seven, any windfalls you get. So if you get an annual bonus or your tax refund, throw that money toward your debt and that'll help you pay it down significantly a lot faster uh, than what you're able to do on a monthly basis. Don't take your bonuses and, and go out and play with them. Take your bonuses and pay down your debt so that you can get free quickly as possible. And that is your money tip. Available now on audiobook format, Flying High to Victory, a recap of the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles season. Follow the Eagles on their triumphant journey as you witness players such as Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, Torrey Smith, Jay Ajayi, Nelson Aguilar, and Zach Ertz. Pick up your copy of Flying High to Victory, available for digital download on audiobook at bandcamp.com, cdbaby.com, and nimbit.com. Welcome back to The Robinson Show, everybody. I'm your host, Ed Robinson. And you know, from time to time, we like to interview people outside of the sports world and hear their thoughts on how they feel about sports and any topics that's affecting them. This person that I'm interviewing is a brother that's not only a rapper, but he's also a philanthropist, a humanitarian, and he's just a game changer. He's been doing this thing in the rap world for quite some time, but he's really making some noise in a major way. And he's from my neck of the woods, the great city of New Orleans. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only D1. Yo, D, welcome to The Robinson Show. Thank you so much, family. It's an honor and a pleasure. All right, brother, you're welcome. Anytime. So let's get right into it. Let's start off with the National Football League. Several years ago, when he was quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, Colin Kaepernick made waves with his stance against the national anthem as a form of protesting against police brutality and also with a lot of racial injustices going on in America and around the world. He decided to take a knee during the national anthem. Some people applauded his efforts. Others didn't. 
Tell me, what are your thoughts on Colin's stance, and have you had an opportunity to meet him? So my thoughts on Colin's stance is that I think it came from a genuine place, and I think that he he wasn't doing it to to cause the type of uh, uproar that has you know since happened. He wasn't doing it to be divisive or anything. He was he was doing it because he felt passionate about that issue, and he felt like police brutality was something that really was resonating with him at that moment because. He's seeing it every day. He looks on the news. It seems like another case of a black man being shot by the police. So I think his intentions were pure. I think that the NFL is is used to having a, a, a slave master type mentality towards the players to where it's like, listen, you should be thankful that you're in our league and therefore you're going to abide by our rules down to a T. And, you know, this really, this really shook them up when they saw – Kaepernick, you know, essentially go against the grain and do this. So I think they wanted to make an example out of him, and they have made an example out of him, but the thing is some of the NFL players have shown that they're fearless, and they'll continue to, uh, they'll continue to protest, you know, for something that they think is unjust. So I haven't met uh, Colin Kaepernick personally as of yet, but we run in a lot of the same circles, so it'll happen soon. All right, continuing on with Colin and his stance on the National Anthem, the National Football League recently reinstated the National Anthem policy. For the time being, the National Football League has stated that they won't hand out any punishments for athletes deciding to take a stance on the National Anthem. I think it's great that they, that they, uh, that, that they went back on their policy because at first I think they had come out earlier in the summer and said that they were going to... Uh, Find players if or they're going to find the team if if a player uh, if a player came out on the field and protested you know something to that nature like basically saying you had to stay in the locker room if you wanted to and that was just that was so horrible man that made the NFL look really bad to come out with that so I think that behind the scenes there's things that the NBA and 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 other leagues are just they're not in such you know tumultuous uh, atmospheres like, like how the NFL is, man, because they really, they really have dug a hole for themselves, and I think they're trying to get it right, so that's why they've come out and said this, and they're trying to get it right as of now. Okay, well, we'll segue into our next topic. You mentioned about the NBA. Let's talk about the New Orleans Pelicans for a moment. The Pelicans had a great season this past year because we know about Anthony Davis making big strides as well. And, of course, DeMarcus Cousins came through in a trade right before the All-Star break coming from Sacramento. And, of course, with the addition of Rajon Rondo and Drew Holiday, the Pelicans made the playoffs, but they lost a five-game series to we now, to now the current NBA champion, the Golden State Warriors. Boogie is gone. Boogie signed a one-year deal with the Warriors, and now it's Anthony Davis's team again. Rajon Rondo is in L.A. now. So are the Pelicans moving forward? Are they going back? Well, it definitely sucks that uh, Boogie Cousins left. And same thing with Rondo. Uh, it sucks that he left. Um, I'm hoping that maybe we get some uh, maybe we get some, some, some love in the free agent market and, and can bring over some people that are noteworthy because, yeah, you can't you can't deny that your team takes a hit if you lose two of your uh, four most vital players. You just lost half of your, your nucleus, uh, you know, uh, in the offseason. And I think the Boogie Cousins move shocked everybody, uh, especially because 
Uh, the word is that the Pelicans did offer him an extension, uh, and you know, for him to not take it, I believe it was a two-year extension that they said they offered him uh, at some point late the season. For him to not take that and go and take a year contract with the Warriors for way less money, I mean, it hurts. Yeah, it hurt. If you're a Pelicans fan, hey, we just got to brace, brace for, um, you know, this to be a, a a year where we need some other people to step up. You know, that's a, that's all. It's just time for they are all professionals at the end of the day, so they should all be capable of stepping up to the table and and you know becoming a game changer. Okay, well, speaking of us uh, stepping up to the table, the NFL season is right around the corner, and the New Orleans Saints are prepping up for another year. And speaking of stepping up to the plate, as you said earlier, quarterback Drew Brees has always stepped up to the plate since his tenure in the Crescent City. The Saints, we know how the story went down in the postseason last year. They had a, a stunning win over Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers in that wild card game at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, but they lost a heartbreaker in the NFC Divisional game to the Minnesota Vikings. So the Saints are foaming at the mouth right now just in terms of trying to get back on track. And Drew Brees, even though at this age and stage in his career, he's continued to be productive and to be consistent. How do you see Drew and the Saints panning out this year? It's going to be a great year for the Saints because, like you said, they're foaming at the mouth. They know they have the talent. Uh, Luck just wasn't on their side, you know, last year in that Minnesota Vikings game. So, they're, they're excited. I mean, we still got um, we still got Mike Thomas coming back. We got Alvin Kamara. Um, you know, we 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 we're gonna be stacked. And even the defense, the defense has always been the most uh, questionable part of the Saints, but the defense is even looking good, and they've made some cool moves. So this is gonna be a great year. Great year to be a Saints fan. All right. So now we've taken care of the sports stuff. Let's talk about something that you're very popular at and something that you do very well in another arena, and that's the world of music. You have a current project out called Slingshot David. Tell the listening audience out there who produced the tracks and who's featured on the record. Yeah, so there's a ton of different producers uh, on these tracks. I work with a different producer on almost every song, and uh, I have some features from a, a few of the you know that the heaviest hitters in the in the R and B world. Uh, one named Seven Streeter, she's Grammy nominated, amazing singer. Another brother named Avery Wilson, uh, you know, out of the East Coast. He's he got a voice from heaven, literally. Um, by me being a rapper, I take care of most of the rapping duties on the album because I'm telling my life story on this CD, and anyone knows that your life story is something that people will always be able to relate to because as humans. We go through a lot of the same things. So I'm pretty much handling all the all the rap duties on the album and telling my life story. And the, the the name Slingshot David is basically saying, we know that David defeated Goliath, you know, in the biblical days with a slingshot. So I'm basically saying the key to defeating our Goliath in our lives is we have to find out what our slingshot is and discover that. Your slingshot is your passion. It's your gift. It's, it's the thing that God blessed us to be able to do well. And once you figure out how to use your slingshot, you'll defeat your delight. And hip-hop is my slingshot. Let's jump ahead to your any future projects that you have, whether it be collaborations or an album that you're working on. Oh, yeah, man. I'm um, I'm putting another album out very soon. I want I, I don't want to announce the date yet, but it'll be coming out uh, it'll be coming out early fall. I'll say that much. Late summer slash early fall. Uh, and I'm almost done. I'm 90% done with it. So... I'm just finishing that off. 
we're in the midst of summer right now. You know, it's the heart of festival season. So currently give our listening audience out there if you're going to I know you're currently on the road right now. So any tour dates that you want to let our listening audience know about, where can they find you out on the road and the next tour dates coming up? Sure. Um, for all of my tour dates, because it's honestly, I move around so much that I don't even fully remember all of them. So just go to uh, d1music.com, D-E-E, the number one, music.com. And I have all of my uh, tour dates and upcoming shows listed. And anyone that's trying to book me for anything, you can, uh, you can hit up d1management at gmail.com, D-E-E, the number one, management at gmail.com. All right, one last question. Where can they find you on the social media world? And also let them know the website one more time. Sure. So my social media handles are all at D1Music, D-E-E, the number one music. That's my Instagram, my Facebook, and my Twitter, D-E-E, the number one music. And uh, my website, once again, is D1Music.com. So I appreciate everybody. I just want everybody who is listening right now to know that life is a gift, and every day we wake up, we should be thankful for another day here, and we should all be pursuing our purpose in life. And the only reason I rap is because I know that this platform is something that can change lives, and I embrace it wholeheartedly. You know, I'm thankful that I could be a role model and a source of inspiration and entertainment to people. So I appreciate y'all. Indeed, you have been an inspiration to all of us as well, and you heard it from him. That's rapper D1 making waves in the music game and continue to change lives each and every day. D, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the Robinson Show. And whenever you want to come back, just let us know, okay? My brother, I appreciate you so much. You keep doing a great job, bro. All right, thank you so much. We'll be back with more of the Robinson Show. You stay tuned. Available now on audiobook format, Flying High to Victory, a recap of the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles season. Follow the Eagles on their triumphant journey as you witness players such as Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, Torrey Smith, Jay Ajayi, Nelson Aguilar, and Zach Ertz. Pick up your copy of Flying High to Victory, available for digital download on audiobook at bandcamp.com, cdbaby.com, and nimbit.com. Welcome back to The Robinson Show. My next guest is a lady who competes in the world of track and field, but she's a master's track and field runner. And we'll talk to her to get insight about the sport and how she prepares and how she trains for it. Ladies and gentlemen, I have Deborah Green on the show. Deborah, welcome to The Robinson Show. Thank you for having me. Every story has a journey. Where did the journey begin for you? Yes, uh, my journey is actually quite interesting. My journey actually began... Um, during the summer of 1998, I was 14 years of age, and I actually um, was interested in running track and field after my sister uh, was competing um, for high school at Northern Senior High School, and I actually ended up going to a meet, seeing her run, and I said, well, this looks very interesting, and then one day I seen it on TV um, watching, um, I believe it was Olympian Jackie Joyner Kersey and Florence Griffin Joyner competing. And I said, wow, this looks really cool. Like, what are they doing running around an old wall? And my sister says, well, that's what I do. You just, you just came out there and saw me run. So I decided to want to 
start running, and so I quit basketball. I was a basketball player during that time, playing for the University of Maryland College Park's Chris Weller's basketball camp, and I decided not to come back that year. That's when they were starting to institute the whole Junior Olympics um, for girls' basketball. During that time, we didn't have anything else, and I also was the year to the WNBA, was incorporated as well. So that was the the boom time for basketball, but there wasn't anything really that was keeping me to stay. But I saw this uh, track and field on TV, and I saw my sister running, and I just said, hey, I would like to do that. And so my father decided to sign me up with a summer track program locally in Baltimore. At that time, it was known as the Ed Waters Track Club. And um, my dad signed me up with the club. He paid $75.00. Uh, and it's not the magnificent story that everyone thinks about the way I'm running right now, but after he paid the $75, I have to tell you, I never received a uniform. Um, my first track meet, I never even got a lane. Uh, so from that point, I just knew that I needed to work a little bit harder because I was a beginner runner, and I didn't really have a place in that particular sport. Um, my first meet when I first ran in 1998, it was over in Baltimore at Frederick Douglass High School. And again, I didn't have a lane. Everyone laughed at me around the track. My coach at that time had placed me in the 400 meters. I was definitely a slower runner than everyone else. And I finished last place. Everyone was laughing at me, laughed at me on the track, laughed at me soon as I started to walk in the stands, um, but the only person who wasn't laughing was my father, and I walked up to my dad, and my dad gave me a hug, and he said, what do you want to do about it? I said, I want to train hard, Dad, and then that's when he said, okay, we'll train hard, and I'm going to make you one of the top runners in Baltimore City, and from that point, the rest is history. I became a top runner, and that fall, I actually signed up with the cross-country team in 1998 is when I captured my first novice title. And then from there, I captured my first title for cross-country for Baltimore City. And in 2002, I became the first female athlete to win four consecutive titles for Baltimore City Public Schools for cross-country as well as for the outdoor 1,600-meter run. That's certainly impressive. Definitely turned nothing and definitely made it into something because despite those people or those kids making fun of you, you definitely use that as fuel to your fire and to have your father to support you the rest of the way. That That's definitely encouraging for you to come back and bounce back and to able to achieve this feat. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Definitely making some strides in, in your high school career. And then it led you next to your collegiate career where you earned a bachelor's degree from Coppin State University, which is an HBCU and you earned your master's degree from Georgetown University. Did you run during your time at Coppin? I actually did, um, and that's when I actually was injured. So my collegiate career actually came to came to a halting end. And I actually talk about this. I have a memoir that's going to be coming out, and I talk about the transition um, that actually pretty much, it was a tragedy, but it actually helped me become the runner that I am today. I suffered almost a career-ending injury with a hamstring injury during that time. And I decided that I wasn't going to allow that to keep me down. I also understood that as a runner, you need to heal. And that's one of the things I would really encourage um, any athlete that when you have an injury, you need to take time to allow it to heal. And during that time when I allowed it to heal, I started to um, actually do some yoga. And uh, yoga actually helped me to recover. 
and from there I was able to actually come back running, and that was about three years off um, from collegiate being able to actually run. Um, during the time when I was off, I actually ended up going to get my master's at Georgetown University, and when I was at Georgetown University is when I first began to start back running um, just freely as an unattached runner just trying to get my feet back wet after having that healing process. And actually, my first run uh, came in about 2007 or 2008 is when I did the Baltimore Women's Classic. My time wasn't great, but just being able to just step my feet um, on the ground and be able to take a few strides um, from three years being off was definitely great. And I had an opportunity to actually read a book um, by Maria Bertinellis. It was uh, called um, Dealing with um, Running in Life, and it actually helped me to understand that running is like a game of life, and I actually wrote a This I Believe essay um, for NPR um, that was published, too, and so during that time, it, it was some good things that came out of that, even though I was injured, but it was some good things that came out of that and made me definitely a stronger runner. Um, and understanding how to cope and to deal with injuries because sometimes when they come, how do we recover, how do we heal? And I think that I was able to get a grasp of that um, as such a young runner during that time. And also during that time, it was during that time, it was about 14 years, I think, from high school. Now it's 16 years, and I've been running now for 20 years. And so I'm definitely blessed to not have any more injuries um, like I had previously in my early running career. Now let's take you to a new chapter in your life and in your career, and that's the world of Masters Track and Field. How did you get started in Masters Track and Field, and how did you hear about it? Yeah, I think because I was already a runner, I've been an open runner, and I'm actually an open and a Masters runner. So during that time, I actually decided to, um, as I was um, a college professor, I decided to step out of the classroom and then pursue my passion with my running goals. And my goal at that time was to actually try to go to a national championship and to compete. And so I was, while I was working, not barely training, and um, I had set a record, the first time ever running in the 3,000 meters. And I I was published in a magazine, competitor magazine, in 2014, and something just was grasping to me that, you know, I have some talent here. I probably need to get a little bit more serious and can get out here and run a little bit more. And so I started traveling up to New York, um, doing this meet that you had to, like, qualify for rounds, and I would go with my sister, and I would show up just about every weekend, and I would advance, but I barely trained. I would only have time to train once a day, um, or pretty much just twice a week, honestly, and I was competing at 1,500, and I never forget, I would be so tired after the race, but then I would always make the top six, and um, my family and my coach thought it was just crazy at the time, and that's when they really had a talk with me and just said, you know, you really need to get serious about this and you could possibly run professionally for this. And so I decided to, in 2017, just take some time training and just really focus on that. And so I did. And from my training, I was able to capture my first title. I competed at the 
championship in Albuquerque uh, twice, at the Masters Championship at Albuquerque, and then also at the USA um, Indoor Championship in the 600 um, meters. And so from there, I just knew that I could do it. I just needed the time to actually focus and to train and, and just that belief in myself that I could actually achieve this and the talent that I had and just putting those things together. And so it's been a great experience to be able to compete in those different venues because you get to run against so many different great athletes um, when I'm competing um, at those different levels. I want to stay right with uh, 2017 where you mentioned earlier you competed in the USATF National Indoor Championships as well as the Masters Indoor Championships. Now in the National Indoor Championships, you finished in 16th, but in the Masters Championship, you finished in first place. Congratulations on on both of those accomplishments. I want to you're welcome. I want to ask you, I want to talk about your 16th place finish. Did you have butterflies in your stomach going up against the ones that are currently competing at Division One or even in a Division Two status? No, there were no butterflies. I think the difference was um, for that particular event, I was turning back around with less than a week's time from competing at altitude. It was actually my first time actually competing at altitude. And so... I think just having that adjustment from actually running at your first, and remember, this was my first national championship. I just competed there in Albuquerque and then turning around, uh, making it to qualify and and come again and compete um, was definitely significant, I think, for me. But I think that I treated it just like any other race. It was definitely a different race. My coach decided to not run me in one of my events, actually put me in the 600 meters. So that was a challenge for me, but it was actually a race that I could actually compete in. So I think it was just like when I competed the first time, I'm competing against a lot of different people, and it's always great, and we're all the same. We're just lining up on the line. Um, We might have different lanes, but we're all the same. So I don't look at it as this person's Olympian or this person's a national champion. Even myself, even though I was coming in um, with a championship title, I always look at it as this is a different race. And we're all here, you know, for the same reasons or purposes and just lining up and just trying to execute the race and doing the best that I can. So I'm a proud of that accomplishment for being able to compete at two national championships back to back. And I'm just excited for more opportunities that are going to be out there for me to be able to compete, um, especially with um, the world rankings coming out and with me being up there within the top 10. Okay, so while we continue with 2017, you finished in first place in the Hayward Classic in Eugene, Oregon. Matter of fact, you did it not only in 2017, but also in 2016. So definitely, you've had some highlights thus far in your master's career. I want to continue with, is there a drug testing policy that goes on in the world of master's track and field? Yeah, so for the sport for track and field, it's actually not broken down for um, the, the drug testing based upon what level of competition that you are in. Um, the USADA is our governing body over that. For USA Track and Field, also have rules governing for the IAAF, which is the International Federation um, for Athletics. And so there are rules that do govern that, um, and they do uh, do testing and those types of things for the athletes to try to keep our sport clean. We also have another institution called Safe Sport, and that's been a talk throughout um, right now through the Olympics, it's about um, reporting and also uh, understanding having coaches who are safe sports compliant for keeping athletes safe um, throughout um, from misconduct to uh, sportsmanship and those types of things that may arise um, from either from my level or even from even the youth level. All right, now let's move on to Grace Beauty Speed. 
Tell the listening audience out there, what is the purpose of Grace Beauty Speed? So Grace Beauty Speed organization was actually an organization that I had founded in 2010. I actually had this vision, believe it or not, while I was in high school. And um, one of the reasons I had started it was because I didn't have any coaches who would pretty much address uh, issues of coaching female athletes, and as we know, different types of issues can arise, uh, such as self-esteem, uh, issues of uh, how do I know what kind of sport for all the wear, uh, to shoes, to even college prep. And so the Great City Street Organization is the organization that also has a track program for youth, um, as well as um, open and adult athletes in the open and master's division uh, to allow us to have an opportunity to coach female athletes and just give them that more holistic approach um, that they wouldn't necessarily get with being on a team dynamic, um, such as a, a team with males and females. And so this was geared towards specifically females and being able to outreach them and particularly in the city of Baltimore. Is Baltimore a haven for track athletes or are kids more interested in basketball that's actually a great question. I'm going to say I'm biased towards track and field, so I will say yes to that question. But as we know, Baltimore is known for basketball. Um, we have uh, athletes who came out of here from Juan Dixon to uh, Carmelo Anthony. So, yes, everything is honed on basketball. But there is a rich history of track and field as well here. And so I think that as more kids get exposure to the sport of track and field, um, they get adequate coaching in the sport of track and field and, and are given an opportunity to run, just as I shared with you what happened with me in 1998, um, if you're not the best runner coming out, that even if you are a beginning runner, that coach is taking time with whatever club that you're running with to train you and to coach you because you never know what you could be. So that talent identification at that young age is very, very important because I think that's what allows athletes to actually stick to a sport and stay with it. And so... Within our city, we have a boost of track and field, but we've also seen overall decline in sports as well. I want to ask one last question about your organization. Do you help out in terms of providing scholarships for the young ladies that participate in Grace Beauty Speed? So what we do for our organization, we actually have what's called a college prep. So what we have is for the college prep, we have high school athletes as well as some of the, the younger youth can participate in those exercises too. Um, but that helps to get them ready for college so they uh, get an understanding of um, putting together a college resume or putting together filling out application and those types of things or even talking to a coach. Those recruitment processes that can actually come up within the high school. And so then from there, they're able to actually apply and get recruited for college and for scholarships and those types of things. Um, we do have a high turnover of athletes who have gone to college and have been uh, had a lot of college acceptances. We had our first uh, college graduate from the University of Baltimore. So we're very excited for the opportunities that will arise uh, from our organization for just having that preparatory uh, type of uh, program that we have with the organization to just give them that knowledge and education outside of the sport of track and field to allow them to continue to develop on from either the bachelor's level or even if they're planning to go on uh, for post-graduate uh, school, say for uh, a master's or even for a doctorate degree. All right, that's wonderful to hear. So let's move ahead uh, to your future career aspirations in the sport of track and field. You're preparing for the World Championships next year 
in Doha and in Canada. Tell our listening audience about those championships and what are your preparations for those competitions? Yeah, so I'm excited to actually be able to compete at a world championship. So I'm looking forward to getting ready to compete for those. My training is actually going well, and I'm just trying to lay out a foundation with some training just to be able to get to those particular championships and possibly be running in my uh, different types of distance events that I'll be competing in for that. Um, If anyone's ever competed in an international event, they can know it's different from competing from a national event because obviously there's travel involved, there's jet lag involved, so that recovery piece is very, very important. So at this time, I'm really looking forward to understanding and grasping more with the recovery phases as well as I get ready to run and and to do that internationally. Okay, and then also you have the Olympic trials in 2020, and we know 2020 is a very important year. The Olympics are going to be taking place in Tokyo, so I know we're, we're jumping the gun just a little bit, but you were telling me before we began the interview that you're aiming for the Olympic trials in 2020, correct? Yes. Yes, I am. I'm I'm definitely aiming for that. That is one of my goals um, to make to a world championship and as well as to compete um, at the Olympic Games. And so I'm looking forward to making my first Olympic trial, which is in 2020, uh, where it's going to be hosted. Again, that's up in the air. Mount Sac, Eugene, as well as Texas have bids for the. So I'm excited whichever place gets the bid um, just to be able to run Uh, at Olympic trials will be great for me. I know what it felt like to run at Eugene um, and to be on that track. And so I know the feeling that it feels, but just to be able to do that um, will definitely be an honor and a privilege towards myself as well as to my coach who has really been training me hard and getting me uh, to these different aspects in my life. Tell the listening audience out there, where can they find you on your social media platforms and a website? Sure, definitely. Uh, they can actually find me on social media. If they're on Instagram, they can follow me at I am Deborah Green. They can also follow me on Facebook and on Twitter at Deborah Green Zero One. And for more information for my website, they can always go to GraceBeautySpeed.org. Well, you heard it from her. That's Deborah Green. She's a Masters track and field runner, getting ready for competitions for next year. And who knows, we could see her in 2020 in Tokyo in the Olympics. Deborah, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule for being on The Robinson Show. Thank you so much for having me, Ed. We'll be back with more right after this. Available now on audiobook format, Flying High to Victory, a recap of the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles season. Follow the Eagles on their triumphant journey as you witness players such as Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, Torrey Smith, Jay Ajayi, Nelson Aguilar, and Zach Ertz. Pick up your copy of Flying High to Victory, available for digital download on audiobook at bandcamp.com, cdbaby.com, and nimbit.com. Don't forget to check out the Sports Talk with Friends page on Facebook and my main man, Uncle Leroy Jr., every Fridays at 7 p.m. on blogtalkradio.com with the Sports Chatter Show. That's going to do it for this week's show. I'm your host, Ed Robinson, and remember, put God first in everything you do and you can't go wrong. Until next time, stick to the script. I'm out. Peace.
Available now on audiobook format, Flying High to Victory, a recap of the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles season. Follow the Eagles on their triumphant journey as you witness players such as Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, Torrey Smith, Jay Ajayi, Nelson Aguilar, and Zach Ertz. Pick up your copy of Flying High to Victory, available for digital download on audiobook at bandcamp.com, cdbaby.com, and nimbit.com.